Hey guys, it's Heaven from Just a Grown True Crime, and today I'm going to be telling you about this app called Anchor. It helped me start my podcast, and it can help you start yours. Anchor is a free app that lets you use it from your phone or your computer. So if you want to do it on the go, and you want to just record, you can record one. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so much more to get your own podcast out there. You can make money from your own podcast with no minimum listenership. So it's everything you want in just one podcast. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I did. What are you waiting for? Hey guys, welcome back to Just a Girl in True Crime. I'm your host, Heaven. And tonight we're doing the case as promised. We are going to be talking about Susan Powell. Now, I wasn't going to do this as a two-parter, but it's going to be a two-parter. You're in for a treat, guys. Keeping up with, obviously, the murdering spouses, I figured what better way to bring out the next case of Susan Powell. Like I said, I was going to upload this yesterday, but my kids' floor got fixed. We were in the process of moving our oldest's bed back in, and I had to take down my youngest's crib, put it back up, and I didn't sit down till probably at least 9.30 last night. So, I fell asleep on my couch. Wasn't planned. I was excited to have my bed back, and I fell asleep on my couch. So, that's why I didn't upload it yesterday but I'm gonna upload today and then tomorrow I'm gonna upload part two so you get it back to back all right so let's get started see this is a super bad case a lot of twists and turns probably worse than I mean all the cases I do are bad but this just, oh, the family that's involved, oh, there's a lot. And there's a lot of crazy stuff. All right. So Susan was born on October 6th in 1981 in Almogordo, New Mexico. Uh, you already know how I am with big words. I suck at them. Her parents were Charles and Judy Cock, and she is the third daughter that they have. Um, I didn't write down anybody's siblings. I don't know why. I just didn't. Susan is an outgoing person, optimistic, as well with a servant's heart and boundless energy. She's characterized by her faith in the Heavenly Father, her determination to provide for her children, and her beliefs that family is forever. That's, that's good. Her faith is an example to others, including her two boys. And her family, I believe I read they moved to Alaska, but they settled in Virginia. But... Honestly, I could not find a lot of information on Susan, which is crazy because I found a whole bunch of stuff on Josh and his family. And 
I can write like a whole book about Josh. I couldn't find a lot on Susan for some reason, which I don't understand. It makes no sense because, you know, when I did the Lacey Peterson case and like when I looked her up, she was like under her name was like American businesswoman, which, okay, I don't, I don't get that. Oh boy, just, just strap in because Josh over here is a headache. He, oh, he's terrible. So without further ado, guys. Do guys, I'm going to now talk to you about Josh. So Josh was born on January 20th in 1976. His parents were Steve and Tarika Pow. He grew up in a town called Oh man. Paula Lapa. That's definitely wrong. <laughs> Washington. <laughs> He attended the school, Rogers High School, which is the same school that Susan went to. But I think, I think she graduated, obviously she graduated before him because she's older. Um, but they didn't meet for like a couple years after that I read in some articles. Anyways, Josh's, Josh's parents eventually got a divorce um, his parents really couldn't seem to agree on anything from discipline to religion to everything in between. It was known that his father started to move away from the church. Um, but I'm not going to go too far into his dad because his dad does circle back around into Susan and Josh's marriage. So he started to stray away, and Josh's mom was like, no, that, that's not what I want. We're members of the church. You should still be going to the church. Why, why are you straying? So, yeah. Um, when his parents did go through the divorce, um, I read, like, the divorce, the divorce file portray Josh as like a very troubled teen. He attempted suicide. He killed his sister's pet gerbil. And once he threatened his mother with a butcher knife and all of that stuff I just said except for the gerbils, I circle back to and I go a little bit more in depth of what happened. So if I sound like I'm repeating myself, I'm not trying to. I'm just telling you like why he did all of that. So, yes, very troubled teen. Um, early on, Josh also adopt, adopted his father's allegedly disparring of women. Yikes. That's what I said. Yikes. Because <laughs> I'm not trying to swear. So, I <laughs> picked one time of a podcast to do this one. Whew. Um, his parents' divorce files also showed that Steve and Tarika were involved in not only serious conflict over all the things I've said, but, act but actual um, allegations of mental unfitness, pornographic polygamy, and even witchcraft. So yeah, that's, um, that happens, I guess. 
His dad claimed that his wife, who studied um, all these, like, herbs and natural healing, had mixed a New Age mysticism with Mormon beliefs in a way that amounted to practicing the witchcraft and devil worship. I mean, without witchcraft, you have to throw in devil worship in there, right? That's logical. That makes perfect sense. Um, Josh's mom responded that Steve's interest in pornography, which he supposedly shared with his sons, had corrupted Josh, which if a parent shows their kids porn, yes, I would believe it has some type of corruption on their brain, their mental state, but, you know, um, Josh's dad also subjected him to, subjected him in particular to very harsh punishments. For years, he pointedly attacked Josh very frequently, near nearly every day for a time for a time and that's what his mom said so some of the stuff i'm talking about now it's like kind of like a his mom said this and then his dad would come back and say well this is what she does and they would just they would be clap clapping back at each other his father simply said and basically acknowledged that josh was a challenging child to raise but let's be honest aren't all kids challenging in a way like my kids just spent like almost an hour cleaning up their toys because they were playing with them and they were like I don't want to clean them up and my oldest is like I want to separate them I'm just like we could separate them tomorrow because it's Friday and I don't got to work on the weekends and he was just like I, I want to separate them now and I'm like fine separate him but then he was like well can you come help me I was like I'm not helping you separate your toys I will help them help you put them away and then that's what we did and we put the toys away and then my youngest came in he's like oh I'll help too it took him an hour that, that's a very very challenging thing sometimes I'm like why get your toys out if you're not going to clean them up At times, I have no idea how to handle Josh, his dad also, right? Now, he's a little taller than I am, and I'm, hold on. Oh, he's a little taller than I am, and I may, with his regular weightlifting, be a little stronger and bulkier than I, so he's like, Josh is just stronger, taller, and I just don't think I can take control on that. You're the parent. What? And then he also said, I cannot spank him. I mean, you can spank your child, that's fine. As long as you don't, like, beat the heck out of him, you know? Just tap on the butt a couple times. Call it a day? I don't know. <laughs> Um, and he also said spanking didn't even work when he was younger. So, alright. Um, like I said, Josh tried to commit suicide. He actually tried to do that at 
either 13 or 14 years old and he actually tried to hang himself but obviously it didn't work and then when he pulled the knife out on his mom it was all because she asked him to go do the dishes and he turned around and said don't push it mom if my kids ever do that I'm slapping them right upside the head when they're older excuse you who you talk to like that no oh man so everything that I just put out for you you know with Josh's childhood we could see that he was a very like I he was a very troubled child and he had a bad upbringing but we also have to remember that we can feel bad for the child how they turn into an adult we don't have to feel bad for because it was like okay you were a kid yes that's very sad but now as an adult you know right from wrong we don't feel bad for the adults and on this podcast guys we just don't morbid morbid podcast doesn't so we don't either no no all right So Josh was living in Seattle as a student at the, sorry, let me restart that. Josh was living in Seattle as a student at the University of Washington. This is where Josh had his first relationship with a woman named Catherine Terry Everett, whom he met at a local LDS which is Latter-day Saints Church Congregation. Uh, The two then eventually moved in together in their apartment, and things actually quickly changed. Josh had became very, very possessive towards Catherine. He would have restrictions and limitations on what Catherine could and couldn't do. And guys, I can't stress this enough for you. If you're in a relationship like that, get out. J- just run. Run the other way. Say you have to go to Starbucks and never come back. Just, I don't care how you get there. Uber, you ride a bike. Just, no, just get away. That, oh, that's just so scary. Because I can promise you, they don't have good intentions. If they're already possessive. When you guys just moved in together and they were never like that when you were dating. Run. Okay? You ever see that TikTok and they go, now what do you say to, wait, what is it? What do you say when people try to get you and then it goes, duh, no, no, duh, run. Yeah, do that. Think of that little theme song in TikTok and just run like the wind. Get on your bullseye and gallop away. I don't care how you do it, just do it. <laughs> do you like my, uh... <laughs> my husband's up <laughs> he doesn't go to bed at eight o'clock anymore so now he's he listens to me podcast <laughs> i didn't actually didn't write that in my outline i just thought about all that in my head see Ooh. okay back to the story where was i oh, okay Catherine couldn't even visit her family by herself because I'm assuming, this is just my assumption, guys, that he didn't trust, obviously he didn't trust her. And, you know, 
he probably didn't trust the family as well because maybe Catherine was telling him, oh, well, Josh won't let me go do this, this, this. And they're probably like, Catherine, break up with the loser. Just break up with them. So he probably always wanted to be there with her so he could, like, monitor what he, what she said to them and see if everything was fine. That's a big red flag, guys, okay? When Catherine actually decided to go visit a friend in Utah without Josh, she then decided, you know, um, no, this isn't working, and she decided not to go back. So she called him over the phone, and she said, this is how I imagine the conversation went. Yeah, Josh, this isn't working out. You're crazy, and we're breaking up. Just put my things in storage, and I'm just going to come get them because I am not coming back to that house with you there at our apartment because who knows what you're going to do because you're crazy, okay? You're crazy. When I wanted a relationship, this isn't what I signed up for. I did not sign up for some crazy possessive possessive boyfriend okay I thought we were gonna be lovey-dovey we met at church like what's going on you know how like people put up fronts that's what Josh did Josh put up a front to Catherine so he could get her and once he hooked her on the line he was like haha I got me a fish now yeah no good for Catherine though because she got out all right so we see how his first relationship went and obviously if that was like that we know the next his next relationship obviously isn't going to be good and we will see a little bit of how he was as a husband and stuff like that and the whole story with Josh and Catherine plays a big part into this story huge part mega major whatever y'all want to say so just keep that information in your brains when I was doing oh yeah I was gonna say when I wrote down the um abbreviation for the latter-day saints I put in my next right in my next um sentence I put LSD and then I put no guys not the drug it's actually LDS obviously I don't, I don't know what I was on. Listen, I was sitting outside at work b- before I went in, and I was writing this, and it was like 7.30 in the morning, so probably tired. So Josh and Susan met and everything, and they got comfy together, got to know each other. One thing led to another. Boom. They started dating. They got married, and the rest was history. Strap in, guys, because this is where it's going to go from bad to worse, from zero to 100 real quick. Even with Josh's dark adolescence and grisly murder-suicide, there was a time of light and love with Susan Powell. Those close, and that's what people closest to the couple said there was like a one time where he loved her you know like Chris Watts over here and Lacey Pete 
not Lacey Peterson, and Scott Peterson, okay? Y'all eventually loved your wife, and then y'all met mistresses and were like, <laughs> I want to give it up for y'all. No. No, we don't do that. Just divorce and then go be with your mistress. Speaking of Chris Watts. So, I read that, um, real quick, before when I get off topic, I read that book where he writes to that lady who I can't think of her name right now. It on the audible for amazon it was like an eight hour and some odd minutes i listened to that thing in two days and i'm not gonna lie like when like he agreed to write let this lady share his story as long as he could put like his testimony you know how like he says he like found god and stuff which i fully believe when people who murder somebody and they go to prison i mean i i believe in god we've talked about in the first case I believe all serial killers find God. Um, that's just me. Because I know they know what they did wrong. And they know, well, I'm not going to paradise. I'm going to hell. So maybe I can get straight with God and it's all right. I don't know. I'm pretty sure murder is one of them sins where it's unforgivable. But Chris um, wrote in his things. And I'm like sitting at my desk today, like listening to them. And, oh. Uh, he had me like feeling so bad for him at one point and then in the next two minutes I was like but you killed your family Chris how are you gonna feel bad and then be like I'm sorry and then I'm just like see that's where he got me and like his letters were heartfelt from what he wrote to her and then I was like no he's still a monster and a murderer I recommend the book because it went into a lot more detail than um Oh, what book do I have? It's not The Perfect Father. It's the other one. And it went into a lot more, and I'm like, whew, crazy. All right, back to the case. So. Uh, where was I? Okay, yep. So the couple said they were just, he did love that. He did love her. At one point. When Susan and Josh got married, um, he seemed to come around pretty well. Josh's older sister, Jessa, Jessica, Jennifer, not Jessica, Jennifer Graves told 2020. And I'm actually going to circle back to her in part two a lot. He seemed to be in a pretty decent place. And I really had high hopes for their marriage that it would be a successful, happy, and good one. The two, the two and families, um, they, them two and the families, you know, were members of the church until Steve decided to stray. Um, they were engaged when Susan was only 19 and they got married in 2001. At the beginning of their relationship... You know, they were like any normal couple. They were holding hands, hugging, kissing each other. Um, Susan's sister, Denise Cox, said. And you thought they were a perfect couple. And they were a very happy couple. Now, see, like Chris Watson, Chris Watson and Shanann were, they seemed to be a perfect happy couple on the outside when Chris was a monster and who fell out of love 
he's this for a couple years. She thinks he fell out in love with her for in 5.5 weeks, which I guess it's possible, but he just, Chris wanted to just get rid of his family, kind of like all guys do, or I mean, or women. We're, we're not gonna, we're not gonna say one or the other. You should have seen the look my husband just gave me. You know, when they find a mistress and they're like, yeah, Chris didn't want, I'm gonna throw something at you, keep it up. <laughs> um, Where they don't want where they don't want um, responsibility, they don't want kids, they think, oh, I have this mistress who has no care in the world. I can have that. So that's what Chris did. So he just, Chris Watts, oh, you make me so mad. But I was sitting at my desk going, I kind of want to write him and see why he did it. And ever since I've heard about this case, I wanted to, but I'm just like, eh. No, 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 no. So, yeah, they were just seemed perfect and happy. But things behind closed doors, guys, like I said, are always different. People can portray a happy family, but nobody knows what goes on behind the closed doors. Those who knew, those who knew Susan said she was warm and open... Um, qualities that endeared her to her neighbors in West Valley City, Utah, because that's where they settled down. Where the oh yeah, where they settled down several years after they got married. Josh, on the other hand, was not as popular. We all love Susan, and they just tolerated Josh because he came along like he was the package. He it was like a package deal, right? And that's actually how most people felt. Uh, former pal neighbor John Hallowell told Nightline recently, Susan was always worrying about other people, whereas Josh was the complete opposite. He was only ever concerned about himself, which made things sometimes a little bit difficult, which I can only imagine at that time. You always try to get along with the spouse's significant other to try to make it be easier and stuff like that. When Susan was about to go into labor with their first child, her parents found it very strange when Josh refused to drive his pregnant wife to the hospital, insisting that her parents should be the one to drive her to the hospital, not him. Which, what? No, Josh, what are you doing? We could talk dead about... We could talk bad about him, because, guys, spoiler alert, Josh is dead. That's going to come up in part two. He said that he couldn't take her because he had something he needed to finish. No, see, you don't get to do that, Josh. Um, I remember when... My husband and I were expecting our first son. We went to Walmart to sell a snake to somebody. And I started having contractions in the Walmart and everything. And I went to the bathroom, first pregnancy. There was a little bit of blood. I called the OB. I was like, I think I'm in labor. They're like, they, this is what they told me. And my oldest is going to be six in August. 
They were like, we're having a lot of babies right now, so go home and sit in a bath. One, you're a hospital. You're supposed to have a lot of babies. That's normal. So we ended up going to Petco, and I had to go to the bathroom, and my best friend was with us. And she's like, your water's going to break. And I'm like, no, it's not, Steph. Shut up. So I lock the door. I go in. I sit down. And I'm like, Steph, my water broke. And she's on the phone with her grandma. Good thing she don't listen to this podcast anymore. She'd kill me. Um, all of a sudden, I hear her say, oh, my God, Mimi, heaven's in labor. I got to go. I got to call you back. And then all of a sudden, I hear, help, help. So I can get up, and I wash my hands, and I unlock the door and here comes her and this employee rushing he goes oh my god is everything okay I'm like yeah my water just broke I gotta go find my husband so we were in PetSmart I'm sorry not PetSmart we were in Petco because we were getting turtle food and our turtles you know like how they were eating little like little goldfish and stuff like that so I walked up to him and I looked at him and I'm like we have to leave and he's like why I'm like, my water just broke. And he was like, are you effing serious? I'm like, yes, I'm serious. <laughs> so this poor, this poor employee is looking at us. And my husband looks at him and goes, I'm sorry, we have to go. My wife's water just broke. Okay, he didn't say, hey, do you mind holding on a quick bit so I can get the turtle fish for um, Taquito and Nemo? No, we went to the hospital right away. So I don't understand why Josh couldn't stop what he was doing and take his wife to the hospital. Like, seriously? What is more important? I'm about to tell you, though. So, he eventually showed up two hours later. And if my husband did that with either of my pregnancies with my voice, I put this in my notes, he'd be sleeping at his mom's or his dad's. <laughs> He would not be in this house <laughs> because you want to do something important. No, I'm having a baby. That's important right now. <laughs> That's your first priority. <laughs> um, and we, we'd probably be done. I'd kick him to the curb. I think I, think I can fully say that in my heart. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, you got to go. So, like I said, you guys are probably all wondering what Josh was doing that was so important where he couldn't take his wife to the hospital. He just wanted to back up his hard drive before he left. Don't see. <laughs> That's not funny, babe. Um, don't see why that could have waited, couldn't have waited, Josh, but okay. And that's what he told his father-in-law. He's like, yep, I had to do that. Josh's Josh's sister, Jennifer, said she watched her younger brother fade fade out, like, as the years progressed. She saw him go downhill, kind of slowly at first, and then he kind of regressed a little bit. And then in the last few years before Susan's disappearance, he, it seemed to accelerate, and he seemed to just be getting worse and worse. Friends said Josh became so controlling of his wife, which we are now going to see like what he was doing with Catherine, which is now what he was doing with Susan, except, except Susan was a lot worse. It was a lot worse with. Um, 
He became so controlling of his wife, it became legendary amongst those who were who knew them. She even had to get permission just to use the family car. I'm sorry, what? Oh, this case makes me so mad. If my husband ever talks to me like that, I'm throat punching you. I love you, but I'm going to punch you in the throat. <laughs> Don't look at me. My 50 pounds of fury? That's not funny. She also had to follow a strict procedure in order to spend any money. Yeah, I mean, I like to spend money too. But no, you're not going to do that to me. And it was on grocery shop. Um, it was like on like, you know, anything. For grocery shopping, this is a kicker. Not really. This is actually just how controlling he is. He also had a spreadsheet that she was to look she was to look at like um and everything and she had to go through you know like how you get them like newspapers and they have like that like the store newspapers and you look through them to find the best deals yeah she had to do that to find the cheapest price of um things said a friend michelle or no when she went shopping, she came home and she had to put every single thing she bought into that spreadsheet, which is just freaking bonkers if you ask me. If she spent more than a couple cents on beans, Josh would get really angry and he would yell at Susan. Josh wouldn't even let Susan spend money on socks. No, socks are not a necessity. I guess not to him. He insisted that she knit the socks, which she did, um, which is just insane because I don't know how to knit. I mean, I don't really know how to sew either. I mean, I took a sewing and cooking class in sixth grade, but I can't really sit here and sew. So Josh would have hated me as a wife. Denise said that her sister considered leaving Josh, but didn't do it because she was in fear of what would happen to the couple's two children, Charles and Brayden. When I told her to leave with the kids, Susan told her that Josh said to her, over my dead body, you will have those boys. They're mine, is what Denise said was told to her. The boys were a possession to him, and they were his possessions. Remember, Josh and Susan are both Mormons. I believe Susan's a Mormon. Yeah, they met at a Mormon church. So that makes sense. And she believed in her faith, but Josh wasn't the only man in his family who was actually creating havoc in Susan's life. Susan ended up telling her friends that her father-in-law, Stephen Powell, made a pass at her and tried to fondle her chest. Her friends told 2020 this, that Josh didn't defend his wife against his father. Like, come on, Josh, what are you doing? How are you not going to defend your wife against your, your father? No. Instead, they had a very heated argument about Steve, where Susan was talking to him, and Josh would kind of excuse him, saying, Oh, that's just my dad. That's just the way he is. 
you're blowing things out of proportions. And that's what Susan told Michelle. Sorry, but if that ever happened to me with my in-laws and I told my husband and he said something like that, <laughs> I said he'd be done in a blink of an eye. <laughs> he would be. It is believed that Josh had, um, may have suffered at the hands of his father, like we talked about and before, and now we're going to go back a little bit to like his family. Um, Josh's mom did say that his father had an explosive behavior and Josh did get the severe spankings that did hurt his son. Yet with all the things that Josh went through as a child, he still seeked his father's attention and approval. And we see this in people who are abused and stuff because they just want to please the parent who they're getting hurt by because they're thinking, maybe if I please them, maybe it won't be as bad and things will get better better and that's what it seemed like josh was doing i bring his dad up a lot because like i said we will be doing a deep 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 dive into his father and we're actually going to talk a little bit about him in this pod in this episode and boy is it wild he's disgusting josh did claim that his wife susan did have her own faults. Um, jumping real quick to 2011, he did an interview with Good Morning America and accused her of erratic behavior. And she once left the house in underwear, but he also defended himself. People who knew, people who know we know him. Oh, people who know him know that he's a good dad. He said he works hard. He puts his sons first, and he was a good husband. Josh, in what world were you a good husband to your wife? Because I have yet to see it. Okay? I'm waiting. So jumping back before she went missing in 2009, the couple had actually began going to counseling, um, said Josh's sister, Jennifer, but it wasn't going well. It was clear to the counselor that there was no progress being made, Jennifer said. Josh wasn't doing his part. And so the counselor was frustrated. Susan was frustrated. And they just weren't getting anywhere. Jennifer believes that this, is the, this was the last chance to get it through Josh's mind. Um, or, and if it didn't get through his mind, Susan was basically going to be like, you know what? I'm calling it quits. I know my faith says I should stay with my husband, but I can't keep doing this. So it was just a last, last ditch effort. And you know what? I get that because let's be honest, nobody wants to go through a divorce. You feel broken and you feel upset and you feel like it's your fault and you try to change what you think you're doing wrong when sometimes it could be the other person as well. And that's why I think, you know, people just want it to work and try to make it work, but it's hard. So, guys, like I said, now we're going to get into Josh's father, Steve, and Susan's father-in-law, like how their relationship dynamic worked. He was definitely obsessed with Susan. And after what I'm going to tell you, I think we can all agree 
with it that his father was obsessed Josh's dad is a strange guy and that's probably putting it lightly he would always be recording Susan and you can tell in some cases I don't think she actually knew he was recording and she just didn't know about it Steve describes his daughter-in-law as a very very sexual person who claims she wanted to have an affair with him I believe this is a hundred percent false and we'll talk a little bit more into that into the second part. On some, on a disturbing entry, Steve admitted to secretly recording her, like I stated. But sometimes he would use these images of her for um, self-stimulation. We ain't gonna go into that because we all know what that means. Wanted to whack his winky. Ooh, I just feel disgusting saying that. Um, ew. Other entries such as the fact he could hardly control himself when it came to Susan before wondering whether his obsession actually might be um, like a soci sociopathic sociopath something like that. You know, he was crazy. When she would be in the bathroom, he would actually spy on her and he would take a mirror and slip it under the door and he would watch her, which, oh, ew. Um, and like I said, guys, talk about an invasion of privacy. Another thing he said, he liked um, putting her underwear in his face. I, I don't know what to say about that. Just don't know what about it. He had seen her breast before, but Susan did not know, did not know it, and that's when he did the mirror thing. After she got out of the shower, he saw them. He said, "Yeah, she didn't know I saw them, but I saw them." In some video footage, um, Steve could be heard saying that he never lusted for a woman, as I have Susan. He also fantasized about how it would be to kiss those lips. Steve also believed that his son Josh, who was the father of his grandchildren, obviously, did not appreciate Susan as much as, much as he would have. But don't worry guys, we are really going to be talking about him so much in part two because he is in a, he plays a big case in this I believe, and he has something to do with it. Now, just keep all of those things that I said in your mind until part two. Now we're going to talk about a timeline of what we know took place before Susan went missing, disappeared. I fully believe she was murdered. So she went, so like I said, missing. In 2007, the Pals filed for bankruptcy with $200,000 in debt. Saturday, June 28, 2008, Susan writes a letter addressed to family and friends warning them of Josh. In this letter, Susan says Josh threatened to destroy her if she filed for divorce. She said that if she dies, it may not be an accident even if it looked like one. This letter was kept in Susan's safe deposit box, which she only had access to. 
smart. Susan does talk to a divorce lawyer and he advises her to go home and record all of your assets in the home. Which brings us to July 29th in 2008 in a video she says very eerie things. Towards the beginning of the video she says covering all my bases, making sure that if something happens to me or my family or all of us that all our assets are documented. I hope everything works out and we're happy and all live happily ever after as much as possible. This video was, was recorded less than 500 days before Susan would go missing. And now, remember when I said Susan would have to get permission to use the family car? Well, I didn't, I forgot to put her job in the first thing. She worked at a Wells Fargo and she was like, I don't remember what she did, but I'll look it up and put it in the second one. Well, she, Josh actually made her bike to work every day. Okay, she couldn't use the family car. Well, Susan... Oh, I'm sorry. She couldn't use the car, like I said. Josh, I believe, stayed home and he tinkered with, like, the computers or something. Like, he was just, like, a tinkerer. I don't know if he actually had a job, but I know he, like, tried to tinker with the computers. Um, I think he just sat on his butt all day. One year for Susan's birthday, Josh decided he was going to make her a cake with the boys. Now, I know what you guys are thinking. That's sweet, right? Yeah, no. He only finished it like halfway. He didn't icing or decorate the cake. He made a complete mess in the kitchen. And when Susan got home, he was like, oh, yeah, there's your cake. You just need to finish it, icing it, decorate it, put the candles on, boom. And then he said, you, you need to clean up the mess. Rude rude don't know don't why did you even go forth with making the cake but susan being the loving soul she was she did that she icing decorated ate the cake probably with her kids and then cleaned everything up jumping to sunday december 6th in 2009 i think this was a i got this on like a news timeline like a two news timeline and this is what, like, the events, so that's where I got what I'm saying now. Um, when... Alright, so December 6, 2009. 12 p.m., Susan takes her two sons, Charlie and Brayden, to services at her local ward of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Remember, both Susan and Josh were both involved with the church, but Josh, being like his father eventually strayed away from the church where he just didn't go anywhere so Susan would take the boys. Well, when Susan got home, she had a friend over and Josh decided to make them dinner, which, okay, weird. Mind you guys, he's never done that before. He didn't do housework, he didn't cook, he did nothing. So, if your boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, husband decides to cook for you and you've never seen them cook before and they go, hey, I made you dinner. Make sure they eat it with you because it's poison. Poison. Don't be like, no, I'm thank no thank you. I had a big lunch today or, you know, I'm just not feeling good. 
I think he made them like pancakes, which nothing wrong with breakfast for dinner, but I think he made like pancakes and eggs. All right. The neighbor leaves approximately at 5 p.m. when Susan says she's tired and she decided she wanted to go take a nap. This was the last time she was seen alive by anyone outside of her family home. Since she was taking a nap, Josh said, okay, cool, she's taking a nap. I'm going to go take Brayden and Charlie sledding for a bit. Um, at 8.30 p.m., a neighbor sees Josh returning to the home and pulling into the garage. At 11.45 p.m., a neighbor heard a car alarm coming from inside the Powell's closed garage, but the lights appeared to be off in the home. Monday, December 7th, 2009, between 12 and 12.30 a.m., Josh, Josh says he left his home with Charlie, age 4, and Brayden, age 2, to go camping at Simpson Springs Campground in a remote area of Utah's West Desert. During this time, he said Susan had went back to bed after she cleaned a red stain on a carpet, and the campground is about a two-hour drive from the West Valley City. Temperatures were below freezing that night. Okay, so one, who in their right mind would take their children out in below freezing temps, four and two, no you will not because you wouldn't be here, <laughs> first off, and second, why would you take them early Monday morning when you know they have to be at daycare later that day because the boys went to daycare. See, and now I'm going to leave you guys on a cliffhanger because that's where we're going to end part one. And then we're going to talk about everything else and all the crazy stuff. If I can't fit it on to a part two, which I should be able to, you might get a part three. But I'm pretty sure it should be done in two parts. So, yeah. And what one of the children say is crazy. I mean, kids tell you everything. That's all I'm going to tell you. But who? But guys, that is it for this case. I will record part two tomorrow or Saturday. Probably tomorrow, though, so I can get it out. And I will be talking to you guys later because I'm going to go to bed so I can get up at five to go to work.